Good morning, FCC. How are we doing today? Oh, see, first service nailed it. I was all excited. I was like, they finally got it. And then that, well, just, you know, well. Let's try it again. Let's try it again. How are we doing, FCC? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. We're going to get there. I love it. Welcome, welcome. So glad you're here joining with us again today. Excited about us continuing this journey together as we uh, continue to learn and discover what it is that God is trying to teach us and what he wants us to know through the words of Jesus. We are in this series called Red Letters, and the idea behind this entire series is let's, let's hear what Jesus, the one whom all things were made through and for, what did he have to say? Like, what did he have to say for me and you? What did he have to say in all of creation, waiting to come and speak to us face-to-face through Jesus to us? What does he have to say? And so we've been uh, going on this journey where we've been learning about the characteristics of Christ. What is this uh, journey that Christ wants us to be on to know how he lived, why he lived, more than just why he came to die? And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about the approachability of Jesus and how he's calling us to be approachable. This past week, we talked about the invitational uh, realities of Jesus, how he was inviting us to join him on this journey. And today, we're going to tackle a new one, and uh, I'm excited about it. But, but to do it, I want to do it in a, a little bit different than what we had done before. And so if you're here today, and you're like, you know, man, I struggle sometimes with like the Bible reading. Maybe I hadn't read much this week, month, year, Ever. Um, today, you're going to be able to check that box off because we're going to read a lot of God's words together. And, and I want to just challenge you in this way. I know we're going to cover a lot. I'm, I'm going to read over 30 verses together to get you to fully unpack uh, God's word and to know Jesus' words and what he was calling us to know. And so I'm going to challenge you as I read through this to don't get lost in the depth of just the fact that there's a lot there, but actually to know that the words spoken from the stage, there will never be more important words ever spoken from the stage than what I am saying specifically from God's word. So, so like just, just know that, to feel that, the weight of this, it's that important. So we're, I'm gonna read from John 4. I'm not gonna have it on the slides uh, because there's so many of them that would like, I don't wanna like lose this, the slide guy. So like, uh, like uh, together we're gonna read this. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna read from the New Living Translation, so the NLT, um, but you can have whichever one that you want. It might be just a little bit different in some of the words as you're going through if you have a different version. Otherwise, you can just listen. And I just want to challenge you to actively listen to one of the most powerful stories that just, I just don't want to skip a word. Like, you just got to get this, okay? So let's, let's do this together. So we're going to start out in John chapter 4, verse 1, as I read through this. So listen carefully here. This is taking place with Jesus' journey. This is Jesus on mission. This is early on in the book of John as he was baptizing, and this is where it picks up. It says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why, do you ask, why are you asking me for a drink? 
Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you, you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you, where would you, be, uh, where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think that you're greater than our ancestors Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come back to get water. And he says this, go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. He said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you are living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. And all of God's people said, awkward. <laughs> Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it is here in Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worship? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way, for God is So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. A little bit more hanging there. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you even talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. We skip down to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then he said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. Let's pray together. God, I pray right now that you would speak through your word that we just read, that you would penetrate our heart, our mind, our soul to know that there is something more. There's a better water and a better way. That God, the things that are blocking us now from living the way you desire us to live, Lord, would you show those to us? Would you speak through your Holy Spirit, through your holy word to show us what we need to hear, God? 
take all of the story and all of your word and, and exactly what you are showing us in the character of Jesus, that this would be the way we ought to live. Lord, help us. We need it. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you did good. I didn't see anyone snoring. That was awesome. All right, that was a lot to cover, a lot of word that we're going to unpack that together together. Uh, but here's the thing is, is I need to start out with a bigger question that has direct implications to what we just read. You might not see it at first, but I promise you, if you hang with me, you're going to see in the end exactly why this is such an important question and why some of you in this room today need to start with this question, and that is this. How valuable do you think you are? I want you to start there. Like this is a value question. I think what we're getting ready to see today is that this entire story has everything to do with value. And some of you here today is you are questioning whether or not you are worth anything. You are questioning your own perceived value of yourself. You maybe you've been told and taught that you are worthless. Maybe you view other people in this way. But I want to challenge you with this little bit of illustration. And so, um, so me and my wife, we uh, we got to go to uh, we got to go to Chicago together um, uh, many years ago before I was in ministry. And um, we, we was I was in the corporate trip, and I was dressed up in a suit, and she was in a dress. And um, I don't know if you've been to Chicago, but it's it's cold there in like January. So like we were there in January, and like we were not prepared. So we were at this area called Magnificent Mile. Didn't think it was that magnificent, but it's cool. They call it a mile, it's a magnificent mile. Okay, so we're in this space. We're walking around, just me and her. We're done with the meetings and stuff. And I am freezing to death. We are freezing. We were like, okay, we've got to go and get warm. We got to go get, buy something to get us warm. We didn't bring enough clothes, so let's go, let's do that. So um, have you guys ever seen um, a, a show called The Price is Right? Okay, you ever do that? So I want to do a game together, okay? So me and her, we went into a store to go buy something to make us warm. And so I figured, hey, this is a cool class participation. Like, everybody gets to participate in this. Let's have some fun together. So this is what I want to do. Uh, let's do the prices right. Um, what we see here are two sweatshirts. Let's start with the one on uh, your left here. This one here is a white sweatshirt. It is made of 100% cotton. It is not made in America, okay? So this is a... 100% cotton, white sweatshirt. All right, everybody see it? It is made to keep you warm. That's its goal in life, if you're wondering what its purpose is. Okay, um, so that's this one here. Uh, I want to take you now, um, and let's, let's start with this one here. So let's start with what you believe the price of this uh, sweatshirt should be. So name that price. If you know that game, you can choose $1 if you'd like to, so you don't go over. But otherwise, what do you think this price would be? Yell it out. What do you think? What would be a good price for that? We'll see who gets closest. 25. 25, okay. All right, I'm hearing some good numbers. Uh, okay, hang tight. What was that? Someone had a very specific 29.99, I like it. Okay, um, and so, uh, so that one's here. Okay, now, so we're, we're in that range. I've heard several numbers, okay? Nobody nailed it, but it was, we had some close ones. Um, and then we're gonna go with this one here. This one is a white uh, hooded sweatshirt. Um, it is 100% cotton, not made in America and is here to be able to make you warm. Okay, so that's why it's purpose and design is. So again, this is 100% cotton, white sweatshirt. Okay, so this one here, and we had this one here. Um, so what do you think this, this price should be? Let's yell it out. What do you think it should be? 40. Okay, nope, y'all all wrong. That's cool. Um, so 
Uh, let's, go, let's go for the first one here. And let's, let me just show you how we work. So this is kind of my world, okay? So this is from Walmart. So this is Walmart online shopping. You can go today if you'd like, and you can buy this. Um, this is a 100% white cotton sweatshirt, and its price is $18, okay? So somebody was close, but they went over. Nobody won. You all lost today. So, um, so $18, you overvalued what you think it could get. You could get for $18 today. It gets all the way to 3XL. It's awesome. It'll keep you warm. 100% cotton. Pretty cool. Uh, white. All right. Now let me show you what we walked into, okay? Okay, all right. Uh, that goes by Christian Dior, that we walked into. This is a 100% white cotton sweatshirt, and uh, this price here, maybe you can't see it. Let me help you. And you don't even get free shipping because it's not over $3,000. I went that far clicking, and then I was scared it might accept my credit card, so I was like, 1700 all right? So $1,700 for a 100% cotton hooded sweatshirt. Did, are you, like, if I put this on and I can't leap tall buildings with a single bound, I am ticked off. I want my money back. If I'm not on the next Avengers movie, too much, all right? I'm telling you that now. So let me ask you, let me, let me, Why? Why, 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 huh, what was it, so, so, so let me, so here's, here's why, all right, the value of these two sweatshirts was not what it's made of or where it came from, it's not because of its color, all right, it's not because of somebody else's opinion, it is only because of whose designer's name is on it. And somebody needs to hear today that the value difference between one being looked at as an $18 sweatshirt and one $1,700 sweatshirt is only because of whose designer's name is on it. In Genesis 1, we read that we were made in his image and in his image, we were made. What, I, what he's saying for us to know is that you are made with the designer's name written all over you, all over you. Your value is because of whose name is on you. Your value is placed on who God made you be. Listen, and not whether or not you're a clean sweatshirt. Like, like it's not about how, well, how pristine it was. It's about whose name is on it. And I love that because I think for some of us here today, we need to understand that when we're talking about value and we're talking about what, what it is to look at things and to see if it's worth it or not, we need to understand that when we see people, we see people that have the name of God written all over them. No matter what they've done, what they look like, what they believe, made in the image of God, and that brings with them a value. And that changes everything. I was thinking about a little bit of going, if I was wearing that $1,700 sweatshirt, um, I, can't, I can't even say that word out loud. Anyways, so if I, like, if I was wearing that, like, how careful and intentional would I be with that thing on? I'd be like, you keep your kids away from, don't you put them grimy hands near me. Like, don't you, like, it's like, I'm not eating with this thing. Like, I'm walking with my arms out. Like, I got layers underneath of me, make sure I don't sweat on it. Like, like I mean, I'm walking around, like, I am like this, this, like, it's, how intentional would you be because of the place and the value? So let me ask you this way. When it comes to people made the image of God, who do you value? If I could ask it another way, 
Who do you intentionally ignore or maybe avoid versus intentionally engage? See, it's a value question. It's a value question. It's like the, the people in which we're willing to engage with, intentionally invest in, it's a value statement. It's saying, I think you are worth it. I think you're worth it. And so that's why I behave the way I behave. And this is why I believe today what God wants us to know, what Jesus showed us through his red letters is like Jesus, we are called to be intentional. We are called to live intentionally. We're called to live being intentional. This is what God is calling us to be in belief. And this is a kind of a crazy, a crazy reality in this, okay? So I'm thinking, all right, so I want you to think about here today, who is it that you're avoiding? Who is it that you're trying to grow? Is it a group of people? Is it a certain political party that doesn't believe like you believe? Is it a certain religious group that doesn't believe like you believe? Is it somebody in your own family that you're avoid with that you just wanna avoid, you wouldn't ignore, you wish they were never part of your family? Like who is in your family that you just want nothing to do with? You just don't wanna have anything to do with as you walk in here today. Who is, who is God putting on your heart right now? And I want you to know that that's not new. Back in Jesus' day, they had a group of people they absolutely felt that way about. And it was called the Samaritans. In fact, I want you to see, these disciples had been walking and learning from Jesus. And yet these guys didn't get it. Let me show you the classic example of that. So here we have in Luke 9, 51 through 52, it goes like this. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken off, so like the end of Jesus' missional journey here on earth, he's getting ready to go die and be on the cross. Um, he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus knows time's coming, he's gotta go to Jerusalem and he sent messengers ahead of him. He sent disciples and other followers to go ahead of him to make way for him to go on his way to Jerusalem. He was on his way there. And so he was like, hey, I want you guys to go ahead of me, the disciples, go ahead of me. And I want you to set up a place for me to crash for the night, some place for me to stay. And this is what happened. On their way, they entered a village of Samaritans to make ready for him but they did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. So in other words, he was saying, I'm, I'm not, these people weren't willing to let me stay at their place because they knew I was on my way to Jerusalem and they hated the Jews, right? The Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews hated the Samaritans. So they were like, you can't stay here. If you're going that way, you're not welcome here. All right, so this is how the disciples responded to that. All right, watch this. When his disciples, James and John saw it, they said, this is disciples of Jesus, by the way. Lord, do you want us to, I don't know, command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? That seems reasonable, right? It's like, hey, you can't stay at my house tonight. Awesome. God, you cool if right now I just go ahead and light them up. Like, would you, if I pray for you just right now, I want you to light them up. Like, if you could just erase them from the planet, life would be better right now. Like, have you ever been driving down the road and somebody cuts you off and it's like one of those moments you're like, God, you know what? If right now, I don't know, you just want to go ahead and set them on fire, that'd be kind of cool, right? I was like, dude, if that's where you're at, like something broke, like something in there is like, that's a little bit messed up. But like, if we're honest, that's the way I've I've heard people talk about people that way. I've heard people go, you know what? It'd be better if we just wiped them off the planet. I've heard people act in that way. Maybe they didn't say it, but they're like, man, I'm going to treat them as if they never existed. I mean, you're, you're, this is not that far. I mean, these are the disciples. These are followers of Jesus, and they're going, God, just go ahead and light them up. Like, I don't, want, I don't want them around anymore. But Jesus turned and rebuked the mess out of them. Like, what are you doing? Like, how do you even talk like that? Do you understand their value? And that's what this story is all about. If I can give you a framework of what we're getting ready to walk through and unpack a little bit on this from what we read in the beginning, 
The framework would be this. Jesus was Jesus' intentionality. This is the way in which he lived intentionally. He sought. He went out of his way. You're going to see that he goes out of his way to go to these people. The people in which they wish would burn up alive, that they wish would no longer exist on the planet. For Jesus, he looked at them and went, value. I'm going to go out of my way to reach them. I'm going to go out of my way to speak with them. I'm going to go out of my way to stay with them. I'm going to go out of my way. He sought after them. He sought similarities. He found common ground. He was like, okay, I know there's lots of different things you believe. Maybe there's things in which we don't agree on, but I'm gonna find and seek the things in which we do, the things in which are common among us. Number three, he showed sin. He showed them their sin and he called it out. This is like a framework of us walking with someone and journeying with them. If you're wondering, like, how do I journey with someone who disagrees with me? This is kind of a framework. I'm going to show you the way Jesus did this. Now, it was truth and grace, but it was truth. All right, that was that awkward part. We're going to talk about that in a second. Number four, he shared salvation. He shared the gospel. He shared the good news of who Jesus actually was. This was the journey. If you're like, hey, what's a framework in which I could look at? That I could go, what's the way in which God's calling me to be intentional? This is the way that Jesus modeled for us. Let's do that together, okay? So the first one, intentionally sought. So he had to go through Samaria on the way. So remember that in John, John 4, 4 here, it says he had to go through Samaria on the way. And that's true that Jesus had to do it. It's not true that's the way people went. In fact, the Jews historically, there's a bunch of records that show they had a pathway where they would avoid Samaria. Like they would go from Galilee to Jerusalem and they go, Samaria's in between. They're going, we're going to walk around it because we don't want anything to do with them. So they would go out of their way to make sure they don't get an interaction with them. But Jesus is going, I'm intentionally going there. We must go right through there. So he sought after him intentionally. Next, he looked for similarities. He looked for common ground. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He's going, listen, we're thirsty. And listen, this is a Samaritan woman, right? And so this interaction is like blowing their mind because they're like, this doesn't, interaction doesn't happen. No Jews were walking through here. And Jews are definitely not talking to the woman and definitely not talking to a Samaritan woman. And so Jesus breaks the mold and says, hey, we're common. We're both thirsty. You mind if we maybe have a drink? Can we, could you get me some? And maybe we can both, both get a little bit of thirst going. But see how crazy it is. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. Refuse. I will not have anything to do with them. You ever been there? You ever had somebody just like, never again, never gonna talk to them. I refuse to have anything to do with them ever again. That's the way they felt. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. You can almost feel in that weight, I'm just. I'm just a Samaritan woman. I have no value. Like, why are you even talking to me? We, we have nothing in common. We don't see the world the same way. I'm, a, I'm just a Samaritan woman. It's a value statement right there. Why, why, are you asking, why are you even asking me for a drink? Why are you even talking to me right now? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you, and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water, Jesus replied. And anyone drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't come here to have to come here and get water. So he said this was common. 
He's like, me and you, we both don't want to be thirsty, right? But we, we both want to find that there's a better water. That's something we have in common. Like this is him saying, we got commonalities. So, so I sought after you, went out of my way to go reach you. And now that I'm with you and I've talked to you, now I'm engaging with you and going, listen, we got something in common. We both want something better. And she's going, I want it. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, right hand turn. Things get awkward. But he intentionally shows sin. He goes, go and get your husband. And this is the way Jesus is saying, you want better water? Bring me your sin. You want, you want that water? Then bring me your sin. Bring it to me. Go get, can you go get it? Go get your sin and bring it to me. If you want that water, bring me your sin. Some of us today, he's going, just bring me your sin. Like, you understand, this water washes. So you need to bring me your sin. Trust me. Bring me your sin. Right? And it gets so, so weird right here, right? It shows intentional sin. He says, she says, I don't, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you don't even, you're not even married to the man you're living with right now. Certainly, you spoke the truth. And what I love about this spot right here is it's going like, Jesus showed us a fast-forward version within this framework, like, me and you don't know somebody like that. He's Jesus. He cheats. That's cool because he knows people like that. So, like, but we don't know people like that. But he, for us, is a framework for us to know people like that. Now, you see, what blew her mind was that Jesus knew her. He spoke to her, and no one speaks to her. Despite that she's a Samaritan woman, they felt she sought common ground with them. Yeah, you thirsty, me too. But there's a better water. You want some? Yes, I do. And then he took the time to know her, to know her story and to know her sin. I said, bring it. You gotta bring it to Jesus. You gotta be willing to truth and grace. And Jesus did a fast forward version of that. He continues this way. He says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit so those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He continues in sharing that. So he had found common ground. He'd sought after, found common ground. Said, bring me the sin. Confronted the sin and truth and grace. Said that there's a better way with a better worship. It's coming because there is a salvation. He shared salvation with her, good news with her. So the woman said, I, I know the Messiah is coming. I've heard of him. The one who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus told him, said, I am, I'm the Messiah. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the one you've been seeking. I'm the better water. Like I know you've been looking for better water. I came out of my way to be in your way, to find the common ground that we're all seeking, to have you bring the sin that you've been hiding so I can give you the water you've been craving. This is the framework that God calls us into. He calls us into like Jesus living intentionally here. He says, listen, it was, uh, he went out of his way to find common ground, to show truth and grace, to share the good news of the gospel. This is the framework that God is calling us 
into. This is what he, this is the more that he has us for. This is the, what he's designed for us to look at for the people in our life right now that we don't want to have anything to do with, for the ones in which have been written off, for the people in life that you're going, I want to avoid them. I want to avoid that group of people. I want to avoid the, that group of, of people that believe those things, that political party, that family member, that coworker, that friend, that sibling, that parent, whatever it is, that feeling of going, you know what? I don't want anything to do with them. I don't want to engage with them. I don't want to invest in them. I don't want to find value in them. In fact, in some ways, I wish that we just wouldn't even be here anymore. And Jesus is going, man, your value's messed up. You stop seeing them through my eyes because they were made in the image of me, not because of how awesome they were, but because of who I am and that places value over their life that needs people like Christ to be intentional to engage in. All right, so let's get practical real quick as we close this thing down. All right, so let's be practical. So um, I always said I was gonna be authentic and real with you, right? Like that's one of the values that I wanna bring, that I always wanna be real with you. And can I just be honest? This is embarrassing for me, but I'll be honest with you about what this meant for me in terms of people in which I didn't value people that I would intentionally avoid, maybe even talked bad of, maybe even even I didn't talk bad of, maybe I internally felt bad of. And if I'm honest, this is where it was for me. Islamic community, Muslims, right? 9-11, it's a massive point in my life, right? I had friends who went to Afghanistan. I was right in that age range of whether or not I was gonna enlist or not, whether they were gonna do a draft or not. I remember those feelings of going, man, those people, wouldn't it be better if they weren't here? Right? I, I mean, that was my struggle. Like, so this is before I followed Jesus. Like, this is in that journey. I, I was knowing that there was things within me that was going, man, I had these deep-rooted feelings about this group. And I, and I knew that was a problem. I knew that God loved these people, that he loved them, and he died for them. That they're just confused, perhaps. But maybe there's something more to them. Maybe they, do they actually have value? Do I actually see them with the value that God does? Like, if he was willing to die for them, shouldn't I be willing to engage with them and live intentionally with them? So here's the reality. Islam is the world's second largest religion with over 1.9 billion followers. They're known as Muslims. Here in Maryland, there's 6 million. Islam is the world's fastest growing religion. It's forecasted to grow faster than Christianity in 2050. So as a part of me journeying in my master's program, I decided to take a class. It was optional, but I decided to take a class because I knew I needed it from a heart standpoint. That's called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. In that class, I, I had to read a large part of the Quran, the Hadith of Bukhari, which is like their New Testament version of understanding Muhammad, Confucius. I, I learned underneath of missionaries that served in those areas. It's by far one of the most challenging classes I've ever had to take in my life because it was breaking down my view of people. And I realized that there was more than what meets the eye. And so what I decided to do at the end of the class, they challenged us. They said, go take in what you've learned and go be intentional. Go do it. And so following the model of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, what did I do? I went downtown to in Louisville, Kentucky, to the Islamic mosque. And I attended one of their services. They have a Um, Friday prayer service where they do a time of prayer and chant and they do a time of teaching. And I went there and I uh, respectfully sat in the back, quiet and observed, took notes. 
waiting for the chance that after this time, um, I would be able to engage with um, the imam. The imam is kind of like their preacher of the day, um, or like kind of like their local pastor. Um, and, uh, and, and this was actually the, the prayer session that went on. This is what it uh, looked like here. So this was them engaged in this time of, of prayer and um, submissive obedience to who they believe that um, God, their Allah, as they would call it. Um, and so I'm in, I'm in there. And uh, so they get finished with that time and I'm sitting in the back and I'm waiting for the imam. And the guy whose name is Imam Muhammad Masif Iqbal. And um, I waited and he came up to me and, and he was so kind. He came up to me and he went, so um, like, why are you, uh, why are you here, Right? I was like, uh, you look a little different than everybody else here. So, like, um, like, and you're like, you're not wearing like the same clothes. Like, you're just like, you're, you're just different. Like, why are you here? And so I was like, man, honestly, I just, I just wanted to come and, um, and, and see what you guys were all about. And like, I come with no, like, I was no anger or anything, man. I just love to engage in conversation with you, understand a little bit more. And he was like, awesome. He was like, well, let me go meet with these folks and then I'll come back. If you can hang around, I'll hang around with you. And he spent, this dude was super kind. In his 30s, about my same age. He had two young kids just like us. And so I engaged in this conversation with him and sure enough, so I intentionally sought after it, but then I was like common ground. And so I met with him and so we had some things we had to start off at the top. It was like, all right, listen, I'm not gonna choose Allah as your term for the creator God. And you're not gonna say God, which is the Christian way of saying God, the creator. So I said, let's just go with Yahweh. And so we just agreed. We're like, all right, Yahweh. I'm good with Yahweh. You're good with Yahweh. Let's go with Yahweh. So it was like, all right, so we're going to engage in this conversation. So for those of you who aren't familiar, Yahweh is Old Testament term and the way in which they would describe the indescribable realities of God. It was like his holiest name. So I was like, let's use that term when we're talking. So anyways, I was like, we found common ground then. And I was like, man, you got two kids. I got two kids. Don't we both want these kiddos to grow up honoring and praising and glorifying Yahweh. And he's like, with everything I want, everything I have in life, that's what I want. He's like, that's what I'm here for. I wanna make that happen. And I was like, me too. Common ground. Brother, I want that too, man. I was like, but if I, if I could, I asked him several questions. And one of them, I asked questions about the way they looked at the sacrificial system in the Old Testament because it was a, they believed in the Old Testament being true. And so I was trying to show them, like, man, there was, a, there was this whole thing about the sacrificial system and this lamb that was coming. And there was this prophecy of this one that was coming. And Isaiah 53, like, there was this whole thing written up about this one we call Jesus. And he's like, yeah, Jesus. He's like, I'm good with Jesus. Yeah, he was a prophet. And I was like, yeah, but what if he was more? What if he was more than that? What if he really was the way, the truth, and life? What if he really was the answer for me and your kids to actually glorify Yahweh? What if he was more than what you think he was? That changes everything. And so, so here we are, and it was like we get engaged in like this, this little truth matter. I was like, right? We're going back and forth, and, and I finally arrived with that, and I was like, listen, man, I just want to challenge you, man. Go back again study again beyond just the Quran. I've read your Quran about what you say about Jesus. I've, I've read your Hadith of Bukhari. I've read the views of Muhammad of Jesus. Like, I'm just challenging you. Go to the evidence. I would love to walk with you further on that. We actually hugged it out. And when we left, and I would love to show him, like, and here's a picture of me baptizing. We'll be like, oh, that'd be awesome. Like, that's what I was going for, right? And who knows what God will do? And you know what's crazy when I got to know him? You know where he was from? Baltimore. 
So who knows? He might be listening online right now. You know, he might show up to the door and be like, oh, God's awesome. Splash. You know, be like, so I, I don't, I'm not saying it's going to happen. But what I'm saying is that here, here's the thing. My, I don't know what God's going to do with that. I don't, I don't know if God's going to change him from the inside out. I don't know what it means, but this, this is what I know it meant for me. It meant for me to follow Jesus. It meant for me to be obedient to Jesus. It meant for me to go to those in which at one time I looked through the lens and said, no value, to go, man, you are valuable. I will go to your area in your message, at your service, at your place, because I will go out of my way to engage with you because I think you are worth loving. So much so, I think you're worth getting awkward and talking about things that maybe we disagree on. But rooted in our common foundation of wanting to seek and find that which is true, we journeyed together and had a great conversation. We embraced, and I've been praying for him. And I don't know what God's gonna do with that. Maybe he won't ever do anything. But I was obedient, and I was intentional. And I know what God was calling me to do. I don't know who it is in your life, that's God's calling you to go and do likewise. But I just want to challenge you to consider for a moment, maybe, maybe the way we viewed people, specifically those people or that person that God's placed in your heart, maybe it's time for us to start seeing them through Jesus' eyes and start treating them intentionally likewise. If you're here when going, man, I don't know if there's any hope for change. Those same disciples, those same followers of Jesus that Jesus rebuked when they were like, go light them up, blast them off this planet, God, won't that be awesome? Those same guys, after seeing Jesus die for them, raise again, and sent them out on mission in Acts. This is those same disciples, how they thought of Samaritans. Watch this. After testifying, this is in Acts, this is after Jesus had ascended into heaven, after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. These same guys who at one time were like, wipe them off the planet, are now living where they live and loving where Jesus loved by being intentional to go out of their way, to go meet them, finding common ground, confronting in truth and grace their sin, and arriving at sharing the good news that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. What would it look like for God to change us? And we do likewise. Let's pray together. God, we need you on this one. Um, this is a hard one, Lord. Sometimes that hate is from hurt. Sometimes it's from fear. But ultimately, God, no matter where it's based on or from, we know that it's, it's broken. And God, we need your help to help us fix that. Lord, would we begin to see people, including those people that you've placed in our heart today, through your eyes. God, could you help us see and convict us to see the way we should be intentional in how we engage intentional in how we seek after them to find common ground, to show truth in grace, and ultimately to arrive at loving them all the way to sharing with them the best news of all, that there is a better water, a refreshing water, a water that can set this all right, that's found through you 
and what your son did on the cross for us. Lord, I'm so thankful that when you looked at the view of me, you didn't value us in this room based on our sin, but you valued us based on who was written over our life, being made in your image. And God, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. So Lord, as we're getting ready to dive into communion together, God, I pray that you would help us remember the way in which you see us and how we should see others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.